Earl Grey for Jeremy? Yeah, the Earl Grey's over here. Thank you so much. All right, so today I'm hanging out with two of my friends. I am here today with Kat and Haley talking actually here at Alul's Cafe about technology and theology and culture. And in this conversation today, we're actually going to talk about a book that is kind of a really important text, but has some really big ideas in it that have implications for some of the stuff we've been talking about, especially as it relates to <clears throat> what happens when we start becoming independent from God and independent from each other, and we actually start relying on the technology that we have as a replacement for them what are the things that are taking place in that moment and how is it moving forward because as we define technology we were saying the technology is the systems and tools that humans use to shape their world but it's different now it's different in the sense that we have these digital technologies that are doing some things that we weren't doing before and so as we talk about this um I wanted to bring the two of them into this conversation, and, and so welcome today. Thanks for coming in, hanging out. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Kat's actually working on writing a paper at the moment yes. uh, on this book. The book is Alone Together by Sherry Turkle, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. And the reason this is a kind of important text, to be clear, uh, for all of you who've maybe never read it before, is that... In the Turkle is an MIT psychologist. She's been working with robots and cutting-edge technology for decades now. And at the beginning, when I first started reading her back when I was working on my master's and she'd already been writing stuff for a while, most of her stuff was really positive and encouraging, like this technology is going to do amazing stuff. And it's actually going to help us learn to think better and it's actually going to help us learn to engage better. Cool. Except... Um, she was positing in, in one of the more famous books she wrote is a book called Life on the Screen. In Life on the Screen, what she was saying was that all of the people that play on online spaces were going to get to experiment with their own identities. They're going to try stuff. So let's just stop here and ask a question. And you share as much or as little as you want to share. <laughs> but your first online profiles, did they match what you actually look like in real life? Like, you know, if you had, I don't know, maybe you had, like, Facebook yeah. account, maybe you had, a, but what, what were your profiles, and did they mm -hmm. actually match what you look like, what you're into, what, or were they different, and you tried experimenting and being a different person in that space? <coughs> Definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> they did not match my true person. How so? Um, for two reasons. The first was because I was aware of predators online, and so my parents well-educated me with that and said, you better be careful with how you present yourself. So my age, for example, definitely altered that. Uh -huh. um, how, how old were you? I, like, were you oh, like a 46-year-old housewife <laughs> in the suburbs? Or? I was like 20 years old, 20? but I was okay. in seventh grade in middle school. Right, right, so, right. You know, uh, the classic. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the other reason that it did not match my true self was because it was fun. It was like, okay, mm -hmm. people don't know who I really am, mm -hmm. so let's just play around. And it was... Totally perfect opportunity to do that so mm. did you do anything like like change your hair color or, your mm. eye, or how tall you were or, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah or your um, favorite band which you would never have listened to <laughs> like there were filters that i would go crazy yeah. with back then so you know putting all the different face filters on and hmm. just altering my appearance anyways along with my height my interests all of that that good stuff <laughs> <laughs> Cat? I'm trying to think because that was like 
a decade ago. Oh, it's so long ago. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that was a lot of a lot of half my life ago. Honestly, like the, <laughs> yep. the different phases that I feel like my profile online has gone through. Yep. Going back to the first one is like going way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you feel like it, it progressively? Okay, yeah. so so you can't remember a particular well, one. So I remember when I started. It was okay. Instagram. I was I was twelve. Okay. It was a lot of filters. It, I, there weren't a lot of people that I knew on there, but I had my, I was only connected to my friends. I wasn't connected to strangers. Sure, sure. So it was just like the weird highlights slash like different, I don't know, hairstyles, uh-huh. different like different things that I just found funny and interesting enough to post and highly filtered things. Yeah. But I don't know, as it, as it kept going, like I, the next phase was, yeah, more, more highlights, lots of. I don't know. It, I, it's hard to think of how it was me because it, it it was I filled it out. Yeah. Mostly from how I can remember reliable information. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't. <laughs> You're like I, wasn't I think I missed tall. At least the last time I went to the doctor. I might have lied about my age just so I could sign up. Sure. At a younger oh, right, age. right, right. That was a right. big one. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was interesting presenting. Hmm things that I so what Turkle was actually interested in in that life together was the idea that this new online space at the time because he's writing in the late mid to late 90s that this new online space was going to give all of you the opportunity to experiment with identity to try on things like going to the store and trying on clothes this was going to let you try on identity Mm -hmm. ideas like it was going to let you say hey uh you know what i actually do want to be older or maybe i do want to be taller or maybe i want to look a little different or i don't like my hair color or i can actually edit some things out of my face body clothes whatever you want to put on there filter however you'd like to put it this gives me the chance to play with identity Mm -hmm. and see what would happen if i tried out being taller tried out being older all those things. And some of them mm. were really healthy. And mm-hmm. she was like, and some of them were things that you didn't want to talk about. Mm. And so this online space, because it gave you anonymity, allowed you to experiment with things that were maybe not socially acceptable, that were maybe, uh, maybe even in some ways might have been dangerous. But in the online space, realistically, uh, yeah, they can't find me. So mm-hmm. it's it's fine because they're never going to know it's me because I can use anonymous things and a different email and a different stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so... And a lot of my students, when I was a youth pastor, and a lot of a lot of the students that I've had in college since, have all kind of said, "Hey, listen, yeah, allow me to play with some stuff." But progressively, what I've heard, so this is my next question to you, mm-hmm. uh, is that it progressively came to be more in line with who you actually were over time. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, I didn't have to pretend to be older because I was older. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to be pretend to be taller because I realized, like, okay, but I'm not growing, and at some point, somebody's going to meet me and be like, "That's not how tall you are." Mm-hmm. So, does that feel? fair accurate for your experience or did it actually change and Mm. was it different i guess for me i guess why the question was kind of like my take on it would be different was because those like almost embodied qualities like height and Mm -hmm. age that's on my driver's license like id those things weren't things that i was changing and exploring yep it was the way that people perceived me sure so i can think about when i was like okay trying to put my funny my funny perception like out there and then either it didn't it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. I was trying to be more like stylish sure. or more of like the, the devotional Bible thing. Oh, yes. Like mm. that perceived reality. So that was what I was experimenting a lot more with than like physical mm-hmm. attributes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I would say like 
it became more real, like more hmm. close to who I was also becoming. They're so underrelated that it's hard to they say. Are. They are. And, yeah. and, and that's for her kind of the, d- the description and experience she's getting to, mm-hmm. which right. is the notion that I got to play with it. And then some of this stuff started yeah. taking taking root it actually yeah. started becoming things i was interested in because i read and spent time doing something right. i wanted to keep doing it and then it became a my, part of my real life and so that yeah. kind of matched and and that's what she was arguing was the best parts of this the chance to play with some things online that i may never have played with before mm-hmm. and she recognized there were dangers too let's be clear she very clearly outlined some dangers with anonymity there mm-hmm. some very serious case studies that had been made in yeah, ethics in terms of people that lured people into um, spaces like I think there was one in that book about uh, a cancer support group where they found out later that a doctor had joined the cancer support group as a woman it was a can- woman's cancer support group he joined the uh, support group as a woman mm. who had cancer Hmm. And then directed the women to his practice oh, wow. to basically get them to come in. And then on top of that, I mean, you're like, that's shady. No, it's way worse than that. Oh, no. Like, not only that, he actually had affairs with multiple mm. people in that room. Uh, and then when they started to catch him, he basically pretended like she died. Wow. And then he pretended to be the husband of the woman wow. to say that all she died. Right. And they all, mm-hmm. and not thinking this through, mm-hmm. they all went looking for her because they knew which hospital she should be at. Oh, wow. And yeah. she's not there. And they're like, okay, something's up. They figure it out. Realize this, this doctor's been guilty of multiple ethical violations. Oh, wow. But all the online space made that possible mm-hmm. for him to play and deceive yeah. because of anonymity. There were some things in there that were like, hey, just like your parents were warning you, mm-hmm. maybe these people aren't actually who they say they are. Mm-hmm. So Turkle writes a bunch of really super positive books because she's actually like, there's some tremendous potential here. As a psychologist, like one of the things she's talking about at different times is uh, having kids interact with robots and the kids start talking and sharing their feelings because the kids don't know the difference with one of the robots that MIT was building. And the kids start making um, statements to the robot about what they were missing from their parents. Mm. And so the robot actually drew some things out of them because they were reacting to it like it was a real human, like it was a therapist almost. Mm. But she thought this was great. And everybody's like, Sherry Turkle is pro-technology. She is all in. She thinks it's amazing. It's going to be great for humanity. And then a period goes by, I think it's about five or six years, and all of a sudden she drops this book. She drops Alone Together. And it is like bombshell Mm -hmm. 180, turn around, hold on, guys. This Mm -hmm. is not good for Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. This is going to wreck a bunch of stuff if we're not careful. Because what she started seeing was the fruit of some of those things. And so the first thing I want to talk about from this book, one of the first things that she's hitting on in the first half of the book, is um, what happens when we start preferring our technology or even our mediated communication to real live human interaction. And that works itself out in a lot of ways. And in her book, she's talking a bit about robots and some other stuff like that. But realistically, let's break this down because we did talk about this in some other episodes uh, that the vast majority of people your age at this moment, and I'm not you know, painting broad brush. I'm just saying this is actually observed experience with a bunch of you. You all prefer text messaging people to actually getting on a phone call. Yes. Why? I'm not. Uh, 
Okay, <laughs> so it's crazy because um, with my family, when it's somebody from our big family's birthday or it's my grandma's birthday, whatever, um, and we're all together, my immediate family will call my grandma, you know, and we'll sing sure. happy birthday to her. But when they're like, "All right, it's actually your cousin's birthday. Let's let's give him a call." I'm like, "No, like we don't <laughs> we don't need to call. All right, <laughs> it's just more comfortable." So I think it's easier for at least my generation um, to send a text because it's less um, like not intrusive, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take as much effort maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so it's also less emotionally draining maybe mm-hmm. um, to answer the phone call with a hi. Oh my gosh. Hi. <laughs> you know, that could take a lot out of you sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. So I think probably just cause it's a lot more comfortable. It's easier and um, seeing how easy I guess it is mm-hmm. makes it preferable. Mm-hmm. I think. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I feel busy. And so a text message is much faster than mm-hmm. calling, which may take a long time. And then there's always that awkward point of not knowing how to end it because you really <laughs> just wanted to say one thing. You didn't want to have like a 15-minute uh, conversation. Sure. Um, yeah, so true. you have to awkwardly say, okay, bye. Yeah. But also, like, I don't want to interrupt people because I've, I personally don't answer my phone a lot. Mm-hmm. And so there's, if I call someone, there's the fear of getting rejected when they don't pick up. But then there's also anticipation of them picking up. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, so you're getting at an important point here, and that's, and that's part of what Turkle's mm-hmm. actually talking about in this book. She's talking about the fact that uh, older technologies, um, phone calls, but even beyond phone calls, actually, um, like even just meeting somebody somewhere. had a level of uncertainty that was always associated with I don't know so this makes me uncomfortable nervous anxious whatever you want to put in there so that level of uncertainty we are constantly looking to reduce Mm -hmm. Uh, uncertainty reduction is an ongoing communication thing that we're trying to just prove some basic things Um, for instance you're a normal human being you're not an alien who's here to kill me uh, you're not a serial killer. You're not a, like, I'm just looking for, how's the weather? And you're like, oh, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cold out. What do you, oh, okay, so you feel cold. You're not an alien and you're actually enjoying something or not. So you're not a sociopath. Okay, so I'm reducing my uncertainty when we do things like small talk. That's great. But when you get on the phone, A, you have no idea what you just stepped into. Like those people Mm. could be just getting out of the shower. They could be driving and they almost got in an accident. They could have gotten a fight. They could have gotten fired. Mm -hmm. And you're calling them and you're like, I have no idea what's about to happen on the other end Mm. of this. So there's a tremendous level of uncertainty. So stepping into that space feels awkward, Mm. um, partly because you don't do it much. So when you don't do it enough, then you think like, okay, I don't know if I can handle this moment or the situation. Whereas uh, for somebody like my age, wh- where we spent a lot more time talking on the telephone, there were a lot more opportunities to figure out how to navigate that. To be like, hey, man, I got to go. And you just hung up. Yeah. Like, oh, that's okay? You're, you're allowed to do that? You just be like, I got to go. Bye. Click and you hang up. And nobody's mad because it's like, okay, something really happened. His mom showed up or you got to do something or you know what they got to go or house is on fire you never knew quite what was going on why they hung up so fast but realistically you were used to it mm-hmm. so there wasn't a level of uncertainty when it happened or how to end it because you had multiple practices mm-hmm. about doing it you all don't practice very much so mm-hmm. realistically there's going to continue to be a high level of uncertainty mm-hmm. but that's part of what Turkle's actually talking about that's concerning to her 
because what she's trying to say is, um, and she tells this really, really powerful story that's that's really sad, frankly, uh, about uh, some grandparents who are at like an assisted living home and they're by themselves. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to experiment using, uh, they, they, the older people were feeling alone. So they basically said, well, let's bring in these robot babies. They basically made these robot babies that did all the things most normal babies do. They cried, you could calm them down, they could laugh a little bit, they you know, maybe change faces or whatever. So they give these robot babies to these elderly people for, I don't know, several days. And several of them actually said, you know, this was an enjoyable experience. Like, this made me feel better. It's had company, which mm-hmm. is like, okay, that was a robot. It, the yeah. closest thing she's recommending is that if you all had a Tamagotchi, that's as close as this robot baby was getting in terms of interactivity. Um, if you don't know what that is, Google it. You'll yeah, figure yeah. it out later. <clears throat> um, now, uh, I'm sure the two of you had one. No? My friends did. I was really cool enough at that age. No? <laughs> no? Did you have one? No idea what Oh, see? Okay. All right. So the rest of you can look it up. It, it's, it's it's just this little robot thing. The more you interacted with it and fed it and did things, it actually cooed and made you happy, whatever. But it wasn't much different than that. So they gave these babies to these older people. And these older people, um, at the end of a couple of days, they actually invited their actual children with their grandchild babies, real human babies, their own grandchildren. Mm-hmm. They brought them in, gave them their real grandchild in their arms and consistently the elderly people said that they preferred the robot baby to their actual own grandbaby this is your flesh and bone this is your ancestor this is the person who's carrying on your genetic material all your hopes and dreams this is why you tried to help your kids survive so that that would happen Mm -hmm. and now you're saying and when they asked them why here's what they said they said that the robot baby was more predictable and I knew how to make it stop crying. If I just do this, it stops crying. But a regular baby, sometimes that works. I've had three. They don't always stop crying when you do all the same things because you don't always know why they're crying. Because they can't tell you, hey, I'm tired or my stomach hurts or whatever. They can't talk. They said the robot babies are more predictable, meaning they're less uncertainty to them and we prefer things that have less uncertainty because they make us feel like we're more in control. That's fascinating. That's a very good example. So, but the point I'm making is, is that by extension, what we're just basically training everybody to do, if we say, hey, don't worry about phone calls, don't worry about meeting at coffee shops, just text them. Yeah. And, and he, hear me clearly, anybody listen to this, you know I am not anti-technology, that's not what I'm trying to say. Because I think to some degree, what you just said a second ago is really helpful, like a line for me that I usually put down, which is if I'm trying to send information, I'm just trying to meet you at the coffee shop at 3 o'clock. I don't need to have a phone call for 15 minutes to say that. (laughs) If I'm trying to communicate information, text is great. But when I'm trying to actually communicate emotion, Mm -hmm. deep relationship, I probably need to add some things back in that just text isn't going to give me. Mm So, have you two ever had a moment where the text messaging thing didn't work and you were like, I probably need to see this person face to face? Oh, yeah, 100%. But most of the time now, it's predictable that if I have emotion or am trying to communicate something that is of great uh, importance, I I won't text at all. Um, Just because I know that the tone in a text will not be received. Mm -hmm. Totally. Even the same thing with just a phone call um, that's not FaceTime, that still doesn't communicate the whole 
truth, I guess, mm -hmm. instead of like a FaceTime that sure. would communicate more, you know. So, yeah, now I just don't text if I have anything really important to say at all, just because I know that it has not worked <laughs> before. So, mm -hmm. not fun. gone well. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, some students. And this is, makes me old, I get it. I was on AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> and one of them was like, you were so angry last night. And mm -hmm. I was like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't angry at all. And yeah. they were like, yeah. And so I was like, wow. So I went back and read the thread and I was like, okay, wow, you really had to read into that to get me mm. to be angry. But I realized they were angry. Mm. And so they started seeing what they thought they were feeling themselves and they read their own feelings into the text mm. and completely lost hey this isn't actually what we're trying to do right. so um so question is uh, based on that then if we're having struggling trying to think through who we are first in the identity discussion like we were talking about earlier yeah. and then trying to wrestle with hey but I have to communicate and control that with text or some other thing like that, right. then realistically, uh, what choices am I making that are actually helping me to be with people better? Mm. Does that make sense? So that you can start thinking through, hey, I'm used to doing this thing over text and I do substitute this. Yeah. Because part of what Turkle's trying to get at is this, that to do some of the things that we're talking about, you actually have to be alone first. Mm. Yeah, so like yeah. get on a text and actually, you have to actually get away from the other people you're with, <laughs> or, or I suppose at least mentally get away from yeah. them, so that you can focus on what mm -hmm. are they texting, what are you trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I have to be alone first in order to actually be quote unquote together mm -hmm. with other people. So what happens when I spend most of my time alone? which I think is like, oh no, I'm being together with people. I'm texting my friends, we're live tweeting an event, we're you know, on a Discord, wait, wait, wait. You're actually alone. If you look around, there's no one there. Mm -hmm. Some of you are listening to this on a podcast and you're alone. <laughs> uh, and yet you think you're together. Mm. You, you think, oh, I'm texting this person because I'm with them uh, online, on a text, on a social media space. That means I'm not alone. So how we define alone starts changing. So uh, is that the kind of alone we need to be? I'm not saying we yeah, don't need no. to be alone sometimes, but where well, does that go? Well, we're also, when, it, when we get alone, but we're still consuming media, we're still listening to people's ramblings and yeah. voices and texting, and we're, we're not, we're not given the space to process, reflect, mm -hmm. without other inputs without other influences, mm -hmm. which is just, it's like trying to spread out your own thoughts, your own, uh, in a way that is not, it doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't help mm -hmm. like, me reflect. It doesn't help me um, clarify like what I, what I think, what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. It's very draining. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. And, and doesn't definitely lead to one of the things we, other things we've been talking about is how do we, flourish as human beings mm -hmm. like how do we actually become the kind of people that god would want us to be uh, and not allow the technology to keep pushing us back toward actually being alone and the problem that that turkle's trying to address here is that it creates the illusion of being together mm -hmm. but the trickiest part is to do so i have to get alone first mm -hmm. 
So why, how would we even think about that being, oh, that, no, that's a good relationship. That's healthy. It's good that we spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves because the other part of that is to think when you send something to someone, if I'm in a conversation, I'm like, how are you? I actually don't think about me first when I talk. Yes. But text yes. in this space requires me to think first about me and then about you. Mm-hmm. And it's so complicated because now, like, interpersonal conversations are mixed in with the social media platforms, which mm-hmm. are mass communications. Yep. So not only are you thinking about your conversation with one other person, mm-hmm. you're thinking about the way that you're presenting yourself to all of your community, online community, mm-hmm. people in one space, uh, which complicates. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts? The vision that I get when we are alone together is how um, many years ago in the past, I would have sleepovers with friends, you know, and we'd be hanging out, you know, painting nails, watching TV, whatever, all together. But very recently, when I hang out with friends, mm. especially back at home, we're all alone together on our phones, watching mm. our own videos, but together. Mm-hmm. We're in our own spaces, in our own headspace, but in the same way. Mm-hmm. Just so separated. And it's like so sad. I'm like, wow, this is what this is now, huh? Mm-hmm. So. That's just what I think of, too. Yeah, well, and 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 we can say that's in the name of, like, I'm watching this video, and then I'll share it with you. Mm. Or I'm watching this video, <laughs> I'll post it to post it to social media, and you can see it after. Oh, yeah, this is so funny. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I, I get that. But there's something about losing, and that's what Turkle's scared of and, and, and bothered by in some ways, is we're losing something. We think we're gaining something, but in the long run, we're actually losing. And we're not just losing skill, like, the skill of having a phone call that she's not just worried about the skill part of that yeah. she's learned worried more and concerned more about the relational aspect of what are we calling community then yeah. what what are we calling hey that sleepover that's really good hey, we're hanging out we used to hang out and talk to each other mm-hmm. and now we're oh maybe even in the same room but we're not mentally there with one another yeah. and this carries into a ton of different spaces. It carries into, uh, I've watched people at restaurants yes. who are on uh, dates Man. and they literally are looking at a phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, the person in front of you is also looking at a phone. What are the two of you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on here? To the point that it turned into uh, a rule at my house, which everybody, everybody, uh, mm-hmm. and you have, to, you have to get a vote. It says no tech at the table. No tech at the table. Just do not bring it to the table. And so you're like, I got something to show all of you. And it's like, all right, everyone has to vote that this is okay to bring tech to the I table. I love that so much. So, like, you have to vote. All of us have to agree. All right, fine. You can show us that video of this new movie that's coming out. And then you got to put it away so we can yeah. talk about it. Because you can't keep the tech at the table. That's yeah. not a thing here. Yeah. What happens, though, and what are we losing in the process? Because we don't notice all the time what we're losing when we didn't have it for some of us in the first place you just notice you just had a moment a moment where you're thinking about those old sleepovers and then you're comparing and you're like whoa that's not you just had a moment of loss mm-hmm. um, what happens when we're never actually that distant or away from each other enough to miss each other mm-hmm. if the adage is absence makes the heart grow funder what if you're never absent like if your people that you love are no. always with you in your head, no. what if you're not absent? Well, I'm never really going to miss you. So how does that affection for you grow? I can I can 
definitely relate to that right now. Okay. Because being at school, I think, and, and I've taken a step back from social media, which has helped, but not texting, not other forms. Yep. And I want to be separate from people at home, yep. from people who are not here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been really challenging, like in the last couple of months, mm-hmm. balancing being there for them in a way that I can and maybe even that they're expecting me to be through mm-hmm. the thing that technology allows mm-hmm. us to do. But still, I want to enjoy like coming back together and mm-hmm. hearing like all the all the updates from the last you know several months we've been apart. Sure. So it's been very interesting, not only like figuring out okay, I think this would provide a richer a richer like connection for our our friendship mm-hmm. or our relationship, me and my family, mm-hmm. but also balancing their expectations of me, mm-hmm. and that's been a struggle. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been a big struggle. Yeah. So uh, that were yeah. Yeah. And and I think that the then you expand that. Yeah. And now we're talking about community. Mm-hmm. And so how do we call something community just because we were? Oh well, we all got online and we all commented on, "Hey, you look like you had a good time at that park or at that event or concert or whatever." And we have this illusion to some degree of like we all saw what you did, we all commented on what you did. So mm. technically, we're all community in this moment. And yet that doesn't really translate. I mean, it it does in the sense that I noticed that you commented, but realistically, I didn't really get all of the things that happened there. I don't, I only got what you shared, which by the way is what you edited Mm -hmm. to share. Right. Because it's what you knew. Uh, And and what I'm fascinated by is I've studied all this and kind of watched all of you grow up with this is that you all are getting better at editing to some degree. Like, we're much more aware, like, I don't want to have a boss look at this 10 years from now and be like, oh, so they're a whiner and a complainer. I don't want to have a... So you all are turning into these amazing little public relations agencies, <laughs> each individual person, and thinking through very clearly, like, this makes this look good for me. Yeah. But in the process, you're having to think through what you want to communicate about yourself instead of being able to relax and enjoy it and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go home to my family. We're going to have this conversation. And I don't know how it's going to go. Uncertainty. But realistically, I know these people and I know that they love me and I know that this will work out. It'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Especially for us right now, being at this age college age or and and growing up yeah. which is the experience i have to speak from so far yeah um of not knowing what i believe or not knowing yeah, what i i want to actually say or contribute in communicating those things but being expected to do that being expected to present um my my communications of mm-hmm. of what is when I'm still in the process of working it out. Not being able to just be having to do something, having mm-hmm. to put something out. If you're not putting something out, that speaks too. Sure. With these movements on social media, like if you don't, if you don't post, yep. that says something very loudly as yep. well to people in your community. So mm-hmm. it would be, it. We're definitely losing when losing something when there's not a space to to just be and work on it and mm-hmm. not have to something out and what Turkle's really concerned here about as well is that in the process of preferring the predictable and of being willing to be alone together that we start to redefine what community means we start to redefine what it actually means to not be about being with people in spaces now 
as a person in the world who basically is saying, hey, you know what, this is just the way the world works, maybe that's something you're willing to have a conversation about in terms of your philosophy or what you think psych- psychologically it'll do. But as a person of faith, this changes a little bit, hmm. largely because there's some really important things that the scriptures have to say to this. Hmm. First, um, if I'm looking very beginning of the scriptures, it says before anything's wrong, before there's sin, like we talked about in the story a couple weeks ago, before fallen, broken humanity, it, God says for the first time, he says all this stuff is good in creation. And then he says it's not good for humans to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. That's not good. So. Turkle's idea of you're alone, even though you feel like you're on your phone, that's an illusion. It's not good for you to be alone. I mean, not a problem if you're alone here and there and you're actually using to reflect and meditate and have the time to flourish as a human, but it's not good for you to be alone all the time. And then to pretend like you are with people, even though technically you're still alone, actually may be throwing some things off for you both spiritually and psychologically mm-hmm. because you're not actually getting the hormones produced in your body that happens when you come in contact with other people for real mm-hmm. and on top of that you've got all these other things that are going on with devices which make it hard for you to sleep and some other stuff that's going so you're oh, yeah. literally moving mm-hmm. further and further from what i would call a healthy life mm-hmm. but beyond that there's very clear statements in the scripture, and I guess the one that I usually point to in thinking through is that Jesus made it very clear that being in person was the highest priority. If, if nothing else, the incarnation proves the divine priority of being face-to-face with other human beings. God had mediated his experience throughout the entire Old Testament, and then he gets here, and guess what? He just wants to see us, to hug us, to be present with us. Mm-hmm walk around and talk to us and touch us and engage with us mm-hmm. he wants to be not having us feel alone but to be with us that's when we're getting and we'll be getting here toward christmas we use that phrase that he is emmanuel he is god with us that means he's present here so when we pretend or we have this idea of well we can be alone but we don't actually have to we don't have to be together physically we can be alone and do it we're missing the point you were made to be in the presence of other people and when we use that now i'm not saying don't use those things to set up events or engage with things or or even to catch up real quick because i know i'm going to see you soon great you send a text to your family that's cool you know you're going to see him again soon but the conversation's there yeah that's the ethos that's the way that john's thinking when he says in his letters that um my joy will be complete when I'm present with you. I write these things down Mm -hmm. and and I got to say these things because I can't be with you right now. And I get that, but my joy is not going to be complete till I actually get to come and be with you in person and get to hold you and hug your necks and actually tell you, I love you face to face. Mm -hmm. That's complete joy. And the rest of this stuff is second best. But when we start preferring it because it's easier, because it's, Hey, you know what? It's more predictable, more certain, I'm not sure I'm good at this. We actually are missing out on some things that we're not even paying attention to. So, in thinking this through, um, what do you think that has implications, practical application for, based on what we're talking about, the way that we're interacting with people? I definitely see, like, just what we prioritize in our own... Mm -hmm. I mean, exactly what you're saying, the choices. It's not avoiding one thing altogether, but making 
reiterating even to yourself consistently every day what you're choosing if you're choosing the people around you or if you're Mm -hmm. choosing even people who are mediated through Mm -hmm. digitized communications like every time we make that choice whether it be looking at looking at responding to notifications whether it be yeah responding to a text to someone who's not there Mm -hmm. instead of um, giving as much of our our full attention to the people in front of us Mm -hmm. as possible there's a way to use technology still Mm -hmm. sure and and continue to not lose not completely lose you know the connection with what we need to do um to reach those people but Mm. still prioritizing and communicating the meaning the meaning every time we we make that choice we're not only like communicating to the person that we're with that they're important yep um, in a way that they might not be treated by other people too in their life um but we're also communicating reiterating that to ourselves absolutely that that's not where life is that's not where Mm -hmm. life-giving relationships are that's not where we are like Mm -hmm. we're here in the flesh yeah yeah like I guess I have to reevaluate my intentions <laughs> <laughs> because I definitely prefer texting. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking too of um, this friendship that I have with a, a girl back at home, and we have been planning to FaceTime for the longest time, but instead we send each other videos on on Snapchat, and, app, and it's more comfortable, much mm-hmm. more comfortable because I can open it and just reply back. Sure. I don't have to worry about how to say bye or the uncomfort of the environment we may both be in and just, you know, the unknown. So it's definitely like, all right, community in person, not alone together, but together, together. Yeah, <laughs> together, together, for together, sure. Together. And, and and I think what you're, you're hitting on, and, and we can wrap up with this idea, is that you're trying to start uh, you're doing something where you're bringing your values to the surface mm. and taking a look at them and saying, this is what I think I value or what I should value or maybe what Jesus valued. And then asking, but am I making my decisions based on these values? Mm-hmm. Once I get them to the surface, go, okay, that's true. That's what I think. That's what I believe. That's what's important. Now, how am I making my decisions about not only my uh, technology engagement, but my person-to-person engagement, the amount of time I'm spending in different places, how I'm prioritizing that based on those values is is, is what I'm doing in my actions consistent with the Mm -hmm. values that I say I have Mm -hmm. because in the places that it's not hopefully and this is when we're together together we can actually call that out and say Mm. hey you know what you see you said this but realistically you you value this okay sure but you know you keep doing this and that's not that Mm -hmm. and that's accountability again not comfortable a little uncertain but when we get to know people and trust people and find out how much they do care about us and how much they do want what's best for us because we've been in relationship and in real community, embodied community, we start to realize that they're trying to call out of us what they want, they know is better for us, the blind spots that we have a hard time seeing. Mm, yeah. And the nice thing about, the, about establishing these intentional habits, the James K. Smith mm-hmm. of, of that, these these decisions that we're making consciously now will impact our desires going sure. forward like we are very uh we're people who respond to what we're doing and we're shaped even as we even as we do absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely 
This is a fantastic yeah, conversation. Yes, it was. Thank you so much for coming in <laughs> and hanging you. out. And um, any other questions before I No, you're good? So right. many, but not for oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have plenty of other episodes we can record for this. So uh, if you're listening to this and you have questions yourself, please feel free to email them to me at profpedit, P-R-O-F-P-E-T-T-I-T-T at gmail.com. And I will get to them as soon as I can on this podcast. But thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me today and just talking. This was fantastic. I agree. So, all right. Have a great one, everyone. Bye.